Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Amen. Yes, Hunter and Allison, fantastic job with Youth Camp. Thanks so much. See, making those schedules, that's for that master's business degree. You think, I'm going to need to use that. But also, we're so appreciative. Tim and Lauren went, and Joe and Stephanie went as adult sponsors. And so, uh, if they look a little tired, they are. And then, uh, Tina and I kept the grandkids. So, if we look a little tired, we are. And the grand dog. So, we did double duty. So, this is my Father's Day shirt. I didn't know if you were able to see it, so I'd point it out. So, so we're talking today about the vow of purity. Uh, how many of you are married? Anybody here that's not married yet, but one day hopes to be married? Okay. We need to talk to Sarah Malachi. She's like. She's kind of half-hearted in that commitment. So, uh, so, how many of you plan on committing adultery? I actually had someone raise their hand in the first service. So, it's Davina Gossett. You just got to know her. She's, she's not really all there. Uh, <laughs> and you can tell her I said that. Uh, how many of you are planning on being addicted to porn? Well, if the statistics are right, there's a pretty good group of you in this room that already are. And a very high percentage that have viewed consistently, maybe not be addicted, but you have viewed consistently. How, how many of you, have, like after a couple of years of marriage, you know, they usually call it like the seven-year itch, after a couple of years of marriage, at least you'll have an emotional affair with somebody at work. Anybody planning that? No. Nobody plans it, right? Nobody plans to destroy their marriage, but it happens all the time. A lot of people wreck their marriage with sin. It happens all the time. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we've been talking about these, these vows that we make Uh, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. They weren't ashamed. They didn't have any guilt. They didn't have any shame. They didn't have any embarrassment. They didn't have any remorse. And then sin entered the picture. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Adam said to Eve, somebody's going to wear the plants in this family. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Did the shirt come with that? <laughs> that, that came, it was on a tag in the shirt. Uh, <laughs> they heard the sound of the Lord God coming in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, so I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Shame. Shame means to be ashamed, to become characterized by feelings of shame, guilt, embarrassment, or 
remorse. And we just began to feel that from a very early age. You'll notice, you'll, you see a kid coming out of the room and they're covered with chocolate or something, you know. Only a parent will, will uh, taste it. It's, it's, oh, it's chocolate. I'm glad that was chocolate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> parent will do that, right? Uh, and you say, what? Did you get into the candy? Did, is that chocolate? No. No, and it's, it's all there over their face. Or, <laughs> or maybe you've got an 18-month-old. In the first service, I said 18-year-old, which kind of throws this off. You have an 18-month-old in, in a corner, and, and they're doing their business. You know how they do. They had, And you say to them, are you going potty? See, it's a little different if it's 18-year-old. <laughs> 18-month-old, are you going potty? And it's like, I mean, Elias is like defiant. No, no, don't even ask me that. And, but we, we, we do it when we, as grownups. If, we'll walk around here and we could be going through a horrible crisis, a tragedy, depressed, discouraged, upset. And somebody asks us, how are you doing? What will we say? Fine. So we're, are you struggling with temptation? No, I'm fine. We just have trouble being transparent. We end up hiding because we feel that sense of shame. And Satan wants to use that. He wants to use that. He wants you to be connected to your shame. He wants you to be buried by your shame. He wants to be identified by your shame. You did something bad, so you are bad. Has anybody here done anything bad? All of us. We've all done something bad. But it's a, that's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. So, if, But if we don't un, get a hold of that and understand that, we end up believing the only safe place to hide is to keep it a secret. I can't let my spouse know. I can't let him know what's going on. I can't let her know what's going on. I have to fight these battles in secrecy, and I can't let anybody know. And secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. So we've talked about these four vows. The first one we talked about the first week is, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And that's counterintuitive. It doesn't seem to make sense to us in this world. But if you put God first, you'll be a better spouse than if you put your spouse first. Because if you put your spouse first, you're asking them to be to you more than they can be as a lover and a person in your life. Number two, I promise I will always pursue my two, although... We're putting them number two after God. We're also going to pursue them, and we're committed in marriage to a lifelong pursuit of the relationship. You know how you, you, know how you fell in love? You pursued each other. How do you stay in love? You keep pursuing each other. So that was number two. Last week, we talked about the promise our marriage will be a covenant marriage. It's about a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. The contract's based on... on uh, trying to make sure that the other person does what they're supposed to do. But a covenant is a commitment before God to do what you've committed to do, regardless of what the other person does. And so in a covenant, it's, I'm going to make the marriage about we and not about me. And so today, we're going to talk about our promise to confide in you and not hide from you. So how do we build intimacy with transparency? 
Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, 8. Now, Ephesus, you have to understand, Ephesus, the Romans before the Christians, uh, before the Judeo-Christian influence on Western culture, uh, the Ephesians, the Romans, they had no concept of sexual sin. There were very few things, almost no things, that were off limits. The Roman male had incredible power in the relationship and authority, and he could have sex with anyone who was socially beneath him, and they had no repercussions. So Paul is introducing what it means to live as a follower of Christ to people who are, they're learning what it means to be a follower of Christ. They're learning what it means to live a life that pleases the Lord. It's different. They're having, to, they're having to learn new things because now they're followers of Christ and they're living under a, a new ethos, and a new calling. So Paul says to the Ephesians, now he spent the first five chapters telling them who they are in Christ. They have this tremendous understanding that they've been saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, that by the works of the law nobody's saved, that you're saved by what Jesus does. You've called, you're chosen. God loved you. He's chosen you. You're his adopted child. You're his special treasure. He said all this, and now he said, now listen, guys, you were formerly darkness, you used to live in sin, but now you're the light in the Lord. He said, you're the light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of life consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. See, they're having to learn things their culture hadn't taught them. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. As Christ followers, spiritually, we who have believed in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and declared him to be our savior, we're free from sin because of the complete work of Christ. Why are we free from sin? Because, is it because we don't sin? Nope, it's because of the work of Christ. But practically, sometimes, those of us who are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, some of us who've been called out of darkness, sometimes we step back into darkness. Right? So, how do we avoid that? You think about, if you ever go to the theater and you're walking down the hallway and you open the door and you walk and they've started the movie and so you walk in and it's like, whoa, I can't see anything. Like, you're afraid to go to your seat because you may sit on top of somebody. And so you're waiting for your eyes to adjust. But in a while, you become accustomed to the dark. See, that's what happens to us living in a sin-saturated world. If we're not careful, we become adjusted to the darkness. And we, we, are, <laughs> we can't see as well, but yet we're adapted to it. But God's standard for us is very high, Ephesians 5.3. So Paul says, but among you, he said, you were darkness, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's people. He says not a hint of it. So he uses three words, immorality. Immorality is porneo is the Greek word. It's a real general term. It's just sex outside of marriage. 
Impurity, we're pretty clear about what impurity is, right? It, it's, it's what's dirty. It's, the Bible doesn't view sex as dirty in marriage. It, the Bible views sex in marriage as a gift. It's sacred. It's awesome. But there are ways that it's amazing. Sex can be one of those things that can be horribly <laughs> filthy. Involve children and all kinds of things. It can be horrible. So Paul is saying, watch out for the dark side, the impure side of sex acts outside of marriage. And then he says, beware of greed. You don't think, you think, that that doesn't seem like a sex thing. Seems like a money thing, right? Greed. He says, be but there can be sexual greed. We understand immorality. We understand impurity. But the, word, the definition of greed is acts that exploit or victimize someone. So there's a sexual greed that exploits and takes advantage of others, taking something that doesn't belong to you. So, you know, if you have sex with someone outside of marriage biblically, you are in reality greedily stealing from that person's future relationship with their husband or wife. You are stealing in that relationship. So Paul says, listen, stay away from it. Stay away from it. It's, it's not what you think it is. I had a, a friend whose family uh, in the 20s or 30s, uh, they were all over... You know, it was a big family, and they had all gathered together for this special family event. And so the women were in the kitchen. The men were out working, uh, as was common in those days. Now the men would be in the kitchen. The women would be out working. You know, it's a little different. But anyway, uh, they were, the women were cooking, and they were making biscuits. And someone said, we've run out of baking powder. And so someone said, oh, I know where some is. So they ran to the garage and they got what was a can of baking powder and brought it in and they made biscuits. The problem was somebody was just using the baking powder can to hold rat poison. And they made biscuits and then because there was the way of the time, all the men sat down to eat first and they killed every man in the family. It wasn't what they thought it was. And that's the way sex outside of marriage can be. It can be glorious or it can be deadly. Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to stay away from this. It's not what you think it is. Here's what Jesus said. This is crazy. Jesus said, I, you've heard what it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That was the law. The law was you shall not commit adultery. And that was, that was unique to the Jews. So the Jews had this commandment from God. They had this, this plan for marriage. They had, this is what marriage is, a man and a woman for life. And don't commit adultery. Don't have sex outside of your marriage relationship. So the Jews had that. And then because Christianity is birthed out of Judaism, right? So they, they have this, this law, this, this principle But Jesus said, listen, I want to tell you, there's something beyond that. There's something beyond the law. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, you put the, wrong, the line at the wrong place. The line's not here at adultery. Ooh, I'm not committing adultery, but oh, I can hang my toes over. I can look at porn. I can flirt. I can get real close. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, the line's not there. He said, put the line all the way back here. The line is, don't even think about it. Don't even lust. Don't even think lustily about it. When you see that woman at the gym that's scantily clad, you don't go. That's an impression of Johnny. Uh, <laughs> no. Where, where do you stop that? You stop it as soon as possible. Something's going to cast your glance. But you don't have to continue the look, and you don't have to memorize the look. Jesus said, what do you do? You draw the line as far back as possible. You create a safety net for you. Don't walk on the line. So how do we do it? How do we stay pure? Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Especially for the... David's writing this. I think he's a young man writing this to himself. He's writing it to young men. How do you keep your way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. David's probably a young man when he wrote this. He loved God. God loved David. If you read the Psalms, David had incredible insight, revelation into the nature and character of God. He had, he had insight into Christ on the cross in Psalm 22. He had insight into God is our shepherd in Psalm 23. I mean, it's just full of understanding who God is. David wanted to be pure before God, but sometime later, David failed as a middle-aged man big time. And we all know about it. We know that David failed with Bathsheba and brought dishonor to the name of God and the people of God. And here we are 3,000 years later still talking about it. I mean, think about it. Can I share with you where I think David went off the rails because he knew the word? He had hidden the word in his heart. So he knew the word of God. He loved God. He was committed to God. But I think there's an area we can see where David went off the rails. You notice that he makes this statement. Do not let me wander from your commandments. God, don't let me wander from your commandments. Is that how your relationship with God works? Uh, God, don't let me? Because if that's the way it works, why didn't God show up in the garden and slap that apple out of Eve's hand and punch the snake. Boom. Can you see that? Boom. It's the God punch. Boom. Why doesn't he make your phone quit working when you look at porn? Or you go into the kitchen and you get a cookie and Angel shows up and says, you can't have that. Just one? No. God didn't work that way. Lord, make me do the right thing. Lord, make me do the right thing is not a prayer. It's a cop-out. 
Because Lord, make me do the right thing is if I fail, it's God's fault. If I fail, it's not because of me. It's because God didn't keep me from wandering. God, it was your job to keep me from wandering. God, you let me wander from your commandments. But you see, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5.8. For you were formerly darkness, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Not, Lord, make me walk. How do you walk? And you'll, you'll find that this is all through the New Testament. It calls for us to walk. Walk worthy of your calling. For, <laughs> to do everything God's called you to. Walk worthy of what God's called you to do. Walk as children of light. Because that's who you are in Christ. This is what Christ has done for you. You are in Christ and he saved you and he's delivered you. But he's saying, listen, now you have to put legs on it. And you have to do it. And you, how do you do it? You do it with, with, with a daily submission to Christ, a daily surrender to Christ. It's a daily yielding. You realize, oh, man, you know, I had this good yesterday, but today I'm sucking at this. So you have to have some element of daily dealing with it because every sin becomes a stronghold in secret. Yes, we need to hide God's word in our heart because he guides us by his word. Yes, we need the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. But we also need voluntary transparency and accountability. And I say voluntary because nobody can, I've had people say, I want you to make me accountable. And I'm like, I wish I could. Man, this church would be full to the brim every Sunday. Everybody would show up every Sunday because I'd make them accountable. But you're only as accountable as you make yourself to people. You have to be transparent yourself. No one can make you be transparent because our pet answer is when someone says, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. We need voluntary transparency. You see, David needed Nathan the prophet before he fell, not just after. Because the night on the rooftop with David was not the first time he ever struggled with this. If you read David's story, David had a problem with women. You think, why did God use him? Why, why does God use messed up people because it's the only kind there is. <laughs> See, David needed some accountability in his life. He needed someone that he was being transparent and honest with, not someone that had to later call him out with a God story and prophecy and make him realize that he had sinned and admit that he had sinned. You need and I need and David needed same-sex friends that we can be transparent and accountable with and we need to be truthful and honest with your spouse about your struggles. The spouse is someone you need to be honest with. And it's very difficult. So you need to just build a culture of transparency and honesty. Tina and I have the same phone passwords. So she can look at anything that's on my phone. Uh, Tim and Lauren also have access to all of my passwords. 
bank accounts, everything. Uh, Tina can track me anywhere that I go, and I can track her. And I, I get calls like this, what are you doing at Baskin-Robbins? <laughs> and I'll say, I'm, I'm at the gas station in the parking lot. Show me the ice cream cone. No. And I'll say, what are you doing at North Park? <laughs> and I, know, I know you're thinking that we're old, it doesn't matter, but it matters all the way to the end. Because I've seen too many guys, even guys my age, that didn't finish well. Because they, they had sexual problems and it tarnished their whole ministry. <laughs> you know, I've been here 42 years. I'll be 42 years in August, right? If I was to fail sexually, it would tarnish all of those 42 years. So, how do we stay pure? Well, transparency is one. You need to be transparent. You also need to count the cost. Imagine having to sit down with your kids and tell them about your affair or your sexual sin. Imagine breaking God's heart and dragging God's name through the mud. That was what God said about David. He said, David, you have caused the name of the Lord to be dishonored among the peoples of the earth. And we see it happen all the time. When men of God fail... It brings dishonor to the work of God, and it, and it, and it cheapens the gospel in the, in the minds of people. And so we, we, we want to run the race, and we want to run all the way to the end. We don't want to trip up and cause disaster for the kingdom of God. One day we're going to meet God face to face, we're going to give an account. I don't want to lose my reputation as a follower of Christ. and I don't want to, you see... You affect how big your circle of influence is. I don't have a great big circle of influence. I've got, you know, several hundred people that know me and love me. And, but you've got people in your family, and you have the ability to impact and affect your circle of influence. And you lose your reputation, and you lose your spouse's trust. And it's not impossible to rebuild because there are people sitting here right now that have had affairs that could have destroyed their marriage but they put their faith in Christ and they worked on it and they restored their marriage and God made their marriage better than it was and God can do that for you too but if, if you're having an affair right now I would say to you stop stop in the name of Jesus and let the Lord start to rebuild because a few moments of selfishness can ruin your life secrecy is the enemy of intimacy Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So we confess our sins, we quit hiding, and we find grace. And we live as children of light, no longer walking in darkness, but walking in light. And we work on these things. God's my one. God is my one. My spouse is my two. I'm going to always pursue my two. Marriage is about not me, but we. And I'm going to confide in you and not hide in you. If you'll confide, if you'll, that's, that's a hard step. But transparency is the key to healing and strength in your marriage. You don't need to be walking in shame. God doesn't want you walking in shame. God wants you walking in victory. 
He wants you to be set free. Satan wants to use shame to push you in a corner like you can't be used by him anymore, that you're, you're messed up and used up. But God wants to set you free so that you, we can be examples to the world. Was there ever a time when the world needed an example of what it meant to be a, and have a marriage that gives glory to God, to live single lives that honor God, to live our lives in such a way that they're pointing to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're, that they're magnifying Him and drawing people to Christ. Has there ever been a time when there was a greater need? I, this is the time. This is the moment. This is our moment <laughs> to glorify God with our lives. Listen, if you're struggling with this, if there's some kind of area that you're having trouble with, I want to protect your privacy, but if there's a card in the seat back pocket in front of you, you can fill out this information, and you can if you just mark that confidential, it'll just between me and you or Tim or whoever you want to talk to. We will confidentially protect you and pray for you because we want God to help you be free. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. want to have marriages that honor you and glorify you. I mean, that's the purpose of our life. You created us for your glory. We have a divine purpose, a divine call, a divine destiny, and you've called us in marriage, and our marriage is this mysterious relationship that is a picture of your eternal relationship with us. Marriage has sacred significance. And we want to have marriages that point to your glory and your majesty and your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your compassion. Lord, so help us, Lord, today. Help, help us to break free of the shame. Lord, overcome the attacks of the enemy of shame. We're not identified by the failure, but by who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you. I love you. Have a great week. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.